Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 107. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Thursday, June 25th. On this episode, we have a few more details about the 2020 season, a lot of information about how you might handle your fantasy leagues, how the NFBC has handled leagues that were already drafted over the last several months, um, and just kind of a overall realization that even as we get more information on the rules and protocols and procedures for this season, everything is subject to change. There are going to be so many questions that we face in the next five to six months, and the answer to many of them, at least right now, is I don't know. And I think that's increasingly obvious as team officials are speaking to the media on kind of a regular basis now for interviews and for pieces. And obviously there's a lot of questions to be answered about roster construction and logistics and all those things. And even as things begin to come together for you know July 1 report dates for teams uh, and a possible July 23rd, July 24th opening day, how exactly we get to that point is still kind of a mystery in a lot of ways. Uh, woo! I, I just like uh, it's a weird feeling. It's a better feeling, you know, than where we've been before. <laughs> you know? Like before, it was like I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, murder hornets and COVID, and like uh, you know, some big storm is coming. I'm sure, but yeah, we had tornadoes. Uh, this one is like a little bit better because it's like I don't know what's going to happen. It could be really fun. Assuming that we make it to the season, yeah. and through the season safely, it's going to be a lot of fun because we've never seen anything like it. We would have rather seen a regular season more similar to everything we've ever seen before. That would have been obviously better for for all of the reasons. Uh, but I just think it's it's kind of set in for me that we need to embrace the odd this season. And I think you asked me a few weeks ago how much of a typical entry fee would you be willing to spend to play in a shortened season? I was sitting around like 25%, but that's coming from someone who has played in the NFBC main event before. So, you know, that's a still a decent size entry fee. And I think as the reality of what this season is likely to be has set in, that percentage has gone down a little further. But what I've realized is that the camaraderie from playing fantasy baseball is the thing that I've missed probably the most of all. And we could still have that. We can play for smaller stakes. We can play for fun. Uh, I, I, just, I just think it's important to accept the fact that while this season, as fun as it can be, is going to be dangerous, if we're going to enjoy it, we just need to realize like how unusual it truly is and not hide from that. And we're going to have all sorts of setbacks along the way. We've seen reports from several teams now of players testing positive for covid you know, sometimes we don't know who those players are. Uh, that's kind of the nature of this, right? I mean, there are HIPAA laws to protect people. And I I think we all need to accept that right now about this season. There will be frequent times in which we just don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, that's going to be the, the title and theme of this podcast, but we... We'll do our best to sort of figure it out as we as we go along. I mean, today I wrote a piece about, you know, trying to figure out what the new rule changes meant for starting pitcher strategy. Um, and yet, you know, even after I'd gone through it all, um, once somebody in the comments brought up a, a good question that uh, that opened up more that we can talk about. So, you know, every time you sort of pull open the little part and you say, oh, you know what, um, you know, oh, pitcher injuries. It's going to be worse this year for pitcher injuries because they're some are stretched out and some are not. We're going to jump in after three weeks and blah, 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 blah. Um, you have Mitch Hanniger saying, hey, what about hitters? We're trying to time up machines and then we're going to get, you know, we're going to jump in and go up against hitters. You know, all, you're going to see a bunch of hitter oblique injuries. Um, you know, so it's an onion and we keep we keep peeling away at it. Um, just don't eat it raw. <laughs> there is a Seinfeld. I think it's the one where George gets the the glasses and uh, he has the wrong prescription in them, and he eats an onion and pretends like he meant to do that. It's a classic Seinfeld moment for me. Uh, yeah, don't don't eat the raw onion that way. That's, uh, onions are not hand fruit. So 
All right, so lots of things we don't know. A few more things that we do know. I mean, you can read a lot about this at The Athletic. Kevin Drellick, Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark, Eno's pieces. There's details galore spilling out, and they're all just like, we think this is going to work, and we hope this is going to (laughs) work, and we don't really know how it's going to be. I mean, just flipping through... Um, the, the, the big question, you know, what if someone shows symptoms of COVID or test positive, right? Like that's a huge question because as I was kind of hinting at before, there've been tests already. There will be more, there will be more positive tests as players report to camp, more tests will be done and more of them are going to come back positive. That is inevitable. That is going to happen. We already know that the answer is that, you know, a load, a small number will not stop baseball because, they're still going forward with, what is it, five players in Philadelphia, more than one player in Toronto, three players in, in Colorado, and there's going to be more as we as we come back to camp and everyone gets tested. So uh, we, we know that some small amount is not going to stop baseball. Um, and we know that there's a, a like a COVID DL that's sort of outside of the regular process. They don't have to have an end date. There is no end to the COVID DL. Um, and uh, it doesn't uh, change your sort of, it's it's like outside of the sort of normal roster structure, right? So um, you can kind of get a replacement quickly and blah, blah, blah. So we know that they're thinking about it. But the number one question I have is what's, and, and, I, and I don't think anybody's comfortable talking about this because it's kind of dirty and ugly what's the number where baseball has to stop? And is it is it related to the stardom? So if, like, Mike Trout and two Angels get hurt, is that different than if six Marlins have COVID? I'm sorry, I said get hurt. I'm thinking IL, but, like, you know, if, if Mike Trout and two Angels get COVID, can the Angels say, hey, let's everybody stop? <laughs> and is that what if it's like seven marlins and everyone's like ah whatever <laughs> it's messed up right what if it's 10 if it's 10 if you think imagine your team had 10 people go down at the same time <laughs> that's that's what's so different about this you know what if it was 10 wouldn't you think that everyone would say oh, oh come on this is not fair <laughs> like, come on this team just lost 10 players i mean i think the other thing that's strange to me is that we've seen reports now of some teams already talking about letting at least some fans in if it's allowed in their municipalities like that's that's a variable that i didn't think was even possible just a week ago one thing about that is that like when you think about it once they're in the stadium it makes some sense because you could uh, like it's stadiums really big like if you put five thousand people in a fifty thousand stadium or whatever right you you could sit really far away from each other, like, you know, and it's outdoors for the most part, like for, for outdoor stadiums. I think it's slightly different than indoor. Uh, at least my me personally, I feel safer outside than inside. And I think there's some research to back that up. So, um, you know, once you think of them in their seats, that's fine. However, the number of entrance points to different stadiums is, is different, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, like, what if you have six good entrances and you've allowed 10,000 people in. Well, what happens if they all leave at the same time? Or they're all arriving at the same time? Now you're talking about pretty crowded situations. The uh, the bottlenecks getting into big league games. I mean, most of the games I go to are at Miller Park in Milwaukee. Most of the people who go to those games, it seems like, spend a lot of time in the parking lot and then kind of roll in right before first pitch. You, you get these very big crowds concentrated around uh, the security area. And that can't happen. Uh, and I know Miller Park's not one of the places where we're expected to see fans anytime soon. May not see them at all in Milwaukee this season. But I know I think Texas was one of those. Uh, Houston, uh, I think I saw the White Sox, and there are probably a few others as well. And but some of those are going to be in play too. Like the Texas governor is out there telling everybody we gotta we gotta buckle down. It's not looking good right now. So I don't I doubt that that's necessarily on the table right now. But it it like okay, it's on the table for a lot of places. But whether it'll actually happen is another question. Right. So things are still in flux, even as we get more and more information. And just thinking about your question, I mean, it's it's dark. It's a really dark thing to think about. Like, what does it take for the league to say actually we're wrong? Shut it down. I have no idea where that threshold would be. I mean, the fact that they're trying this at all tells us that they're taking on a good bit of risk already, 
and I just don't know what that threshold truly is for them to say, yeah, this this went too far, we made a mistake. And they'll never say it in those words, of course. They'll never admit that they made a mistake. It would just be, hey, we got too many players that have tested positive, too many people around the teams, too many team personnel, employees, whatever it might be. Um, I, I just think it's the strangest baseball season we will ever see. I don't know if we can come up with conditions that would be more bizarre and more scary than what we have in front of us this season. Yeah. And I think um, to, to segue a little bit is, you know, into how this will affect your discussions with uh, your fellow fantasy league mates and how, how to think about uh, things like uh, entrance fees and, and, and um, you know uh, how much money should be on these leagues. Uh, things that we've gotten some answers from NFBC that were really interesting. I think the general, um, I think that general call for caution makes sense. And, and and caution in this sense means maybe not the same entry fee that you have normally. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe maybe if it's a five hundred dollar league, maybe this year maybe you should prorate it to how much actual season there is, you know, like maybe it should be a $200 league or maybe it should be even less because of all the, all the unknowns that we have. Like we don't even know if they'll finish the season. So why would we all throw $200 down right now? Um, and, and not at least have talked about or set in some sort of stone, what happens if they play for two weeks and it's done. So, um, you know, I, I I think most of my leagues are talking about contingency plans right now. I think my head, one of my head-to-head leagues, is just going to switch over to Roto, um, and um, one of my other leagues is considering taking advantage of uh, something that Jake Seeley wrote about, where you can actually have multiple matchups per week in head-to-head. Yes. Um, and uh, so Fantrax is pretty cool. They will do two uh, matchups per week so that you're playing two people at once. Uh, and then on top of that, um, they'll do one where you're like playing the league average. So you basically get like three results uh, per week. And that's enough to sort of goose it along and, and, and give you the regular sort of amount of wins and losses by the time the playoffs roll around. Yeah, I, I think... Your first suggestion still is ideal, just going from head-to-head to straight roto. Just tell your league, hey, it's only for this year. We can go back to head-to-head next year. But I do think the multiple matchups per week or even an all-play format, those are good workarounds, and Fantrax is uh, one of the sites that can actually accommodate that. So part of it might just be this is where your league is already set up. Maybe you don't want to move. Maybe you do. I know that plays into some of the options that you have as well. Um, one other thing in Jake's piece that I, I think is, is important is to think about categories in your league. I think we maybe talked about wins on our show and how funky those are going to be. Um, but if you have quality starts, you got to get that out for this year. I, I think we'll talk about pitching specifically in greater detail on this episode. I just don't see how you'd want to use that in a year in which the beginning of the season is going to be a train wreck. You know, Injuries could be up a lot as well. So it, there's... There's plenty of reasons to steer away from that. I think even you know the suggestion we had for wins is to consider innings pitched instead. Uh, I think that's probably a way to go. And this is also a reminder. Make sure that your league, if it has a minimum for innings pitched, make sure it gets lowered. Yeah, you have to adjust that <laughs> a lot uh, to make sure that everyone doesn't have their standings get messed up at the end of the season because they failed to hit the 162 long season uh, innings threshold. Given the question marks about how stretched out people are and how many innings you'll get from your starters, uh, even within the context of a 60-game season, I would suggest that sort of take the low side of the calculation. Like So in labor, Steve Gardner said, you know, it's normally a 1,000 innings pitch minimum. You know, going by straight math, it should be like 320 or 319.6 or something. Uh, Let's just make it 300. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I think that, um, sort of that's, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about caution, right? Just make everything a little easier this year. Um, we're talking about adding DL slots, 
maybe adding a utility slot or maybe a straight DH slot um, to to our regular lineup. Um, you know, that sort of stuff, just uh, make it easier on people. I think the DL thing is definitely worth thinking about. Um, if you don't, if you have unlimited DL, then I kind of like that. I think I kind of like that in general. I, I, but I understand making choices and having a good waiver wire. But, you know, I, I kind of, I like the draft a lot. And though my waiver wire strategy, I think, has gotten better over the years, um, I don't mind looking at, a, at an ugly waiver wire and trying to figure out who's the best on there. Um, and I kind of don't like the idea that you should lose a guy because they get hurt. And then this year, I'd like it even less. Should I lose a guy because he got, you know, because he got COVID and I, and I ran out of, ran out of stuff, like ran out of place to put him. So if you've ever thought about going to unlimited DL, think about it this year for sure. And if you're, if you don't like that idea, at least add a DL slot or two, if you still can. I think this would also be a year if you can convince your league, like, Hey, we should allow daily roster moves you should make that switch. Normally, I love weekly leagues. I think they're the better way to go. Uh, or at least having commissioner rules in place where you you know, you could submit a lineup change midweek for a player who ends up on uh, COVID IL or any IL. I mean, we have midweek IL replacements already in Tout Wars. I like that quite a bit. I don't think you should get randomly penalized because lineup lock was Monday and on Tuesday someone pulled a hammy. Like that's you know, pre-COVID, that was a, a good rules change anyway. Uh, so I think that's something you should also strongly consider uh, just to make things more flexible this year. Uh, the other question I think that comes up is, you know, what do you do for leagues that have already drafted? Do you redraft them? You know, like NFBC, as we hinted at before, they came out with their ruling uh, earlier this week. They decided to refund Already, already drafted NPC leagues that have weekly fab. Um, so they they refunded Rotowire Online Championship teams, over 2,000 of those. Online Auction Championship teams, over 400 of those. Uh, satellite leagues, main event and online championship qualifier leagues, and guillotine leagues. So they issued $3.5 million in refunds, which is, you know, like I, I think that was the, the fairest thing they could do. Like it, it's a terrible thing to have to do as a business but it's the right thing to do for your players this season is so different than the one we drafted for uh, when the stakes are lower and it's a and it's like a, a friend league i can see saying hey you know there's nothing on the line here we're all going to understand that you know this is weird and we didn't really prepare for this but when the stakes are really high and there's money at stake i think it's unfair to say well you know, you should have seen this coming or something, you know, <laughs> like, um, so I don't think, um, I don't think, uh, that, you know, just making people play, I was hoping that maybe they would refund the money and allow us to, um, just play the, the leagues so that I can get a little <laughs> practice in, but now I'm stuck kind of being like, I almost wish they had something cheaper than the 350. Um, you know, on the line, and maybe they maybe they will come up with that. There's still time, and and there is actually still time. Like the thing is that we still have a month to draft again. You know, um, it's kind of like being on March first. So now everybody can make the decision again. Am I gonna play? Am I gonna put this much money in? And knowing all the unknowns that are coming out the known unknowns the known unknowns. coming in our direction <laughs> at least you you kind of go into it with your eyes wide open is what i'm saying so um i am right now uh because i just checked on nfpc and the team is gone and there's 355 bucks in my in i'm right now debating whether or not i draft again uh so i'm in i'm in here with all of y'all i think the league that i'm eyeing up right now there's a $125 main event qualifier. I think that's a price point go. I'm comfortable with. It's the 15-team format. You know, again, you know what you're you're signing up for. You're signing up for the season where everything could fall apart for reasons that are much bigger than baseball, and you just, you just have to deal with that. Uh, but at that level, I think I'm pretty comfortable with it. And you know what I you know what I would do. Um, honestly, and this this is uh, com- this is a really interesting conversation I have with a friend. Um, recently, and he said that you know he's he's got some investments, and he went to his investors earlier this year, and 
um, I don't know that he's, I can't remember if he said exactly coronavirus, but he said like, I have a feeling that the market's about to tank. Um, it's either going to be some sort of, uh, some sort of global event or some sort of, um, environment related thing. I th- I'm pretty sure that something's going to tank this year. Um, and I, I want to sell like a third of my portfolio and, and turn it into some sort of hard currency or something, something, uh, really stable. And his team, uh, went into panic mode basically. And they were like, Oh, you know, let's show you, uh, how, uh, we work basically. And they were like, you know, this is when this happens, this happens. people get out too early on this and we can, we can, we know what to do when this happens. And so we know what to do. We aim for the middle. You know, if you think about this in fantasy terms, like, you know, we know the best bets, you know, we know, uh, where things turn out good in the, in most of the time, like we, you know, trust us on this. Um, and my friend's sort of idea of the outlier ended up being true. Um, and I was thinking about this in the context of how I play fantasy and how I've seen, um, a lot of, uh, great fantasy players play. And one of the differences is that, um, and I won't, I won't actually put myself in the category of, of the greatest fantasy players, like the ones who win NFBC and, and, and stuff like that, um, is that uh, they'll take more risks than I will. And, and, and I think about like Jason Gray um, and how he came in and just won labor. And, um, and, I'll, and I think about like zero RB in football, right? And I think about some of these uh, strategies that seem radical at first and end up working for people. I think about how when we ran goat, uh, the people who punted saves won. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, if you do play in a league this year and you're about to draft, I say, consider practicing outlierism, you know, consider practicing crazy strategies that you've never done before. Consider, you know, picking two aces and not picking another pitcher until, the 20th round consider not picking a single reliever consider picking all relievers you know what i mean <laughs> like consider some different strategies think about them um think about what other people might do and do something different this year uh do do something a little bit more different because baseball didn't really take this up they had the opportunity to do expanded playoffs uh, which i'm not saying that they should have that was a very complicated thing that has to do with the cpa and all that stuff but what i'm saying is they they did they had the opportunity to maybe experiment more this year and in the end we get the dh but what they could have done is say hey this is gonna be weird anyway let's uh let's have a tournament you know let's uh you know let's you know, let's do some interesting things with baseball, how it's played. Um, I would say do that with your fantasy season. Try some different stuff out. I think I am. Whatever I draft from here on out, I'm going to try something that I don't normally try. I noticed a lot of people yesterday were screenshotting their great fantasy baseball invitational rosters, which were built you know, well over three months ago, four months ago almost now. And kind of looking and saying, hey, how, did, how, does, how does this look now with everything that's changed and you know, maybe young players getting more of an opportunity or guys who had full season innings caps not really having to worry about that now. Just all those different factors. And uh, it was kind of cool because fantasy baseball Twitter was acting like itself again. So that, that was kind of <laughs> nice to have that. Uh, but yeah, one of the things that I, I guess I, I try to do that all the time anyway, just taking shots. I mean, I had one rotation where Josh James and Michael Kopech were, were some of my depth guys, and I just thought, like, okay, this is probably a little better now than it was over a full season just because there's more urgency to get it right for teams in a shortened 60-game season. They're going to play their best guys. They're not going to drag their heels and, and try and preserve as much service time. And, and you know, if they think – if the Astros think Josh James is one of their five best starters, he's going to get that opportunity. If they're not sure and they want to throw somebody else over a 162 game season, they could wait it out a little bit, kind of you know see what happens, right? So, I, I do think embracing risk as it pertains to the player pool and being different; those are both good ideas in general, but even better ideas in this mess of a season. <laughs> I'm just looking at it now because I haven't. Um, and boy, did I, you know, 
enter a roller coaster with Luis Urias. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, he comes up. That was a good pick. That was a terrible pick. Oh, that was an idiot pick. Oh, it's a good pick again. <laughs> well. But my, my end games, I'm actually pretty happy about now. This is kind of a fun end game now. Um, Harrison Bader, Austin Voth, uh, Matt Barnes, Trent Thornton, Randy Dobnak, Sean Anderson. This is a, kind of a, a very similar end game than I would do now because uh, Bader is much safer now with the DH. Um, Austin Voth, even if he doesn't make the top five, is literally going to be the sixth guy that comes in if people aren't stretched out. Uh, and I, like I said before, I think it'll be two turns before he steals Joe Ross's job. Um, and uh, Randy Dobnak is like literally the glue guy in in um, in Minnesota, you know, and a glue guy that's going to come in after Rich Hill and steal Rich Hill's wins, you know. Um, and and what a great combo that would be, Rich Hill throwing slop from the left, and then uh, Randy Dobnak coming from down under on the right. And then Sean Anderson is either going to be a glue guy or the closer in San, in San Francisco, or he'll be gone off my roster. He's the 30th pick. So, you know, in some ways, that's an argument for maybe just do what you normally do. Um, that's kind of been, I think, what people do had done during the coronavirus is just like just hunker down to their base selves. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, the beers I've drank. <laughs> but, um, but you know, if you can now, as like things are opening up and there's more hope in the world, like you know, maybe maybe take a whirl at least with a league or two and see what it's like on the other side in terms of strategy. I was also thinking about this uh, with the teams I've drafted so far. Uh, Chris Sales on a bunch of those teams, which is a bummer because he's not going to pitch this year and he was hurt. Uh, but I do think replacing an injured player you drafted early is actually easier to do in a short season. I'm not excited that I have to do it, but I just think you can you can fake it uh, a little easier in a 60-game season than in 162. Oh, that's interesting because I, I was saying that like – you know, a sixty-game season is is fairly representative. You can get you can, you kind of get a sense of the true talent of a team, actually, and it's not terrible in that sense. But at the same on the same level, um, everybody's jammed together because there's just not enough games to separate yourself. So on the team level, you'll see the spread in a hundred sixty-two game season is much wider uh, than the spread in in the short seasons. I looked at ninety-four and eighty-one. And so uh, a win here or there, and then that's that's directly applicable to fantasy. So the reason first-round picks are so great is they consistently perform, and every week they put a little more distance between themselves and the other people. And so therefore, even if 60 games is enough to tell you that Nolan Arenado is a good player, um, the difference between Nolan Arenado and another third baseman uh, will be smaller just because Nolan Arenado hasn't had enough games to kind of keep inching that that forward, right? Mm-hmm. So we're all going to meet in the middle and things are going to be decided in the last, like we're going to have some epic uh, last day of seasons if we get to that point where somebody will go from fourth to winning it all uh, based on a three-inning save uh, from Trent Thornton. You probably saw Dan Simborski's uh, zip standings that were up on fan graphs this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the NL Central. We we knew this was going to be a tight division anyway, but the NL Central projections: the Cubs thirty-two and twenty-eight, uh, and the Brewers, Cardinals, and Reds all thirty-one and twenty-nine, uh, and the Pirates not that yeah. far behind at twenty-six and thirty-four. So, yeah, that'll that'll be fun. That's also a function of how projections work, right? They smash like smash things towards the middle in general because they regress everything, but. Uh, I mean, it's not far from what could happen. <laughs> yeah, so and that's that's the fun part of what we're talking about uh, for this season. But yeah, I, I did feel better than I did when I previously looked at my sale teams. I thought, okay, maybe I can I can get lucky enough streaming. I mean, I, it's not a completely luck based effort, but I think I can do that really well over sixty games. It's harder to do it for one hundred and sixty two. That was the. The main point for me, at least, as it pertains uh, to Chris Sale. Uh, any other surprises as you look at your TGFBI team? Like, hey, I got this guy. Like, I, I like my team a lot. I feel like I, despite losing Sale, that's a rotation that has two good closers, Chapman and Hansel Robles, and Zach Wheeler, David Price, Kenta Maeda, Josh James, Kopech, Turnbull, and Mats as my other starters with Burns, and we're on the opposite side of Voth versus Joe Ross. We talked about 
that on the NL East show. I've got Joe Ross. Uh, so I, I definitely have work to do with pitching, but I, it, it could be a lot worse for having lost sale on that that group. Yeah, I I did a little bit too much shopping in the middle for pitching, uh, maybe. But uh, Bueller, uh, I go Bueller, Soroka. Um, is that it? Bueller, Bueller, Soroka, Lazardo. Odorizzi. I'm happy about Odorizzi. I think, actually, uh, I mentioned that Odorizzi has a really good strength of schedule in my piece today. Uh, you want central uh, pitchers, and you don't want west and east. Just as a sort of general takeaway from strength of schedule, because we know that uh, teams will be playing within their division for about 90% of the season. Um, and then they'll only play there in the AL if they're in the central, they'll only play in the NL central. They'll only play AL central opponents. So central is great. <laughs> um, uh, and also happy that I've got uh, Renato Nunez, uh, who at times I thought was a bad deal, but now I feel like, uh, you know, with the way that the season's going and um, with the Trey Mancini's unfortunate injury, like um, I'm happy I have him for that late power. So, I don't know. Uh, I I feel okay about this. Uh, you know, shopping the middle. Erquity, Lizardo. Should I feel worse about them now, or better? Better in both. I mean, Lizardo especially, and I think it's reflected. It's reflected in how he had he's more drafted. time, and he's just going to pitch all. He's just going to pitch the season through. Yeah, yeah, and you're not going to have to go into some weeks wondering. We talked about his efficiency. Like, they're, they're, it's not necessarily true that he's not going to pitch into the sixth. He's actually a very efficient pitcher in terms of innings pitch per uh, uh, pitches per inning. Yeah, I, I would just say he's a player who's in a better spot than he was when you drafted him. Not that he wasn't a good pick when you took him, but I just think the right. things you were worried about, the things that enabled you to draft him where you were getting him back in February and March, uh, a lot of those concerns, I think they've been erased. I know there are dissenting opinions on that. They think he's still going to get... Some people still think he's going to get kid gloves treatment, but uh, you know I'm glad you mentioned Odorizzi. I was I was working on rankings and I was looking at projections, and I had a filter turned on. I was looking for uh, strikeout per inning starters with ERAs projected to be above four, and it, it's a pretty interesting group. A few of them I just mentioned there on my team: Darvish, Corbin, Price, Zach Gallen, Bauer, Kenta Maeda, Freed, Lamette, Boyd, Ray. Odorizzi's in that mm. group too. And when you start looking at it, there's a slight difference in projected Ks, but Jake Odorizzi's projections compare very favorably to Patrick Corbin and even you Darvish, which is kind of surprising. And now those three pitchers are much closer together. Once you factor in strength of schedule and the DH, Odorizzi might actually like be at the front of that group. Yeah, I, I mean, is that a crazy thing to say? I mean, it's Darvish probably still because he's in the NL Central, so uh, he's got the, he's got an okay strength of schedule. But um, but Odorizzi feels where he belongs way more, and Odorizzi versus Corbin, the the distance between them has gotten smaller. Yeah, I, I guess if you look at even like the fifty pick gap between Max Fried and Jake Odorizzi, like that probably shouldn't be there. Freed, I have, is definitely uh, was hurt by this whole by this, these details because he's he's in a hard division. They're going to only play in their division, and if they play outside of their division, it's the AL East, uh, and he's facing he's facing DHs now. Well, we're kind of segueing into this naturally. So you had a piece that came out uh, it came out on Wednesday, a starting pitcher strategy guide for this strange fantasy baseball season. I'll be sure to link that. Uh, if you're listening on the Athletic app, and I'll throw it in the show notes on the other places people listen to this show. Um, I think you put together my favorite table yet. Like Usually there are great tables in your pieces. That's you know one of the things you, you often bring. Um, but I just love that the, the table title is Teams Ranked by Shenanigans. <laughs> and the Angels are at the top. They, uh, it's funny because we thought the Rays were doing the weirdest things with their with their team, but the angels were just trying to figure out how to cobble together a pitching staff last year. And I don't think people really fully appreciated how many times they did openers and bullpen games and pulled guys in the third and fourth innings. And, you know, they had uh, all these, all these like six starter types that were coming in the middle of the games. Like they were, they were trying 
as hard as they could. <laughs> <laughs> so as you put this together, uh, what, what led you down this path? Uh, let's define shenanigans for the people who have not read the piece yet. Right. So what was interesting was that when I, when I tried to define how the season was coming in the piece before, I tried to look at pitcher depth. And so I looked at which teams have, um, have the most pitchers that would put up more than two innings uh, per 200, uh, would put up the best war, would put up more than two war per 200 innings. And so when I looked at that, um, it was, I, I, of course, the Rays at the very top, but the Giants were in the middle. And I was like, well, you know, does the Giants' lack of depth mean they have to do these kind of things? Or does the Rays' depth mean they can do this? You know, does the Rays' depth mean they can mix and match and tandem start and opener and, and, and reduce the amount of innings that the, the, uh, starting pitcher pitches and do all sorts of things, um, or do the Giants have to do that because they don't have that depth? So I felt like that that chart was a little bit unclear. So I thought, you know what? Let me sort of come at this from a different angle and say, who in the past has shown the uh, willingness to do weird things with their pitching staff? And the best way to look at that, I think, is innings pitch per game start, because uh, when you do that. You see that the Angels, the Rays, uh, the Blue Jays, Yankees, and Brewers are all at the top. And we know that those were the teams that were doing these things, were doing bullpen days, openers, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, that that immediately became a focus for me for fantasy because these are the teams that are going to limit the innings that they get from their starters. And I think that's, in some, a negative for types like Ryan Yarborough. Uh, Andrew Haney, uh, Yanni Chirinos, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Shoemaker, Trent Thornton, Taiwan Walker. So, you know, Adrian Hauser. These these guys are all going to be taken out early and maybe have an opener. And and the reasoning for that is in the past, their teams have reduced the number of innings pitched per game start. Yeah, I mean, just speaking to the Brewers as the team I watch the most if you see what they do in September especially when the bullpen gets deeper they're even a little bit more aggressive than they are during the regular season they're pretty consistent with that for for guys that are you know like Gio Gonzalez is one of the first names that comes to mind like if, when Gio Gonzalez would take the ball for the Brewers you knew it was like 18 batters to 22 batters that was it he was not going through the lineup a third time he would maybe go through the first couple hitters that last time if situation was right and that was kind of the script they like to follow Um, but it is an interesting question yeah do teams do this because they don't have quality to push it and get through the third time effectively with a lot of starters or is it just the way that they think is optimally uh, configuring a pitching staff anyway like maybe maybe it's can both be a little bit true I mean like Brandon Woodruff doesn't get the same treatment as the other brewer starters just kind of stick right. with them as an example but you know when you and so i thought that was actually a really good comment on the piece um was you know mike b says that if you're using categories and wins is one of them uh it'll be essential to draft guys who can go six innings um and preferably have a deep open and support them and i agree with the sentiment 100 percent uh and i think it's a great comment one of the things i struggled with as i wrote the piece was just knowing who is stretched out for one and um, differentiating between just a good pitcher, like differentiating between a good pitcher and a pitcher that goes long is hard because I did this for the show today. So um, here are the pitchers ranked by innings pitched per game start, uh, removing relievers, basically. Justin Verlander is number one with uh, 6.6 innings pitched per game start. And then it goes Minor, Bieber, Cole, DeGrom, Scherzer, Kershaw, Strasburg, Greinke, Lynn, Wheeler, Ryu, Bauer, Barrios. I mean, like, good pitchers. Yeah, good pitchers go further. <laughs> good pitchers that were at the top of the rankings. Uh, I mean, there's some surprises, but I'm not even sure that surprises really teach you a lot. Like, Mike Leak is in the top 20, but, you know, do I care? Like, I don't want to take a, like, a, Mike Leak's going to lose a bunch of games. I guess he could win a few games, but you're also going to lose when it comes to ratios and, and, and strikeout rates and stuff. 
Um, and then also, one of the things he said was people coming off of injury. Uh, I wanted to point out, and young pitchers, I wanted to point out that in the, uh, I would say about top 30, I'm kind of eyeballing it, but in the top 30, uh, near the end, uh, this is a, a group here that's all around 5.8, 5.9 innings um, pitch per start. Charlie Morton, Chris Sale, Masahiro Tanaka, Jose Urquidy, Sean Manaya, Zach Eflin, Matthew Boyd. So all those guys are in the same area when it comes to innings pitch per start. And you have like drastically different situations. Chris Sale was coming off of injury. Uh, Charlie Morton is not known as a guy who goes deep into leagues. Um, Masahiro Tanaka is a, is a total veteran that you would have assumed if he, if he goes deep into the games, he'll go deep into games in the future. Jose Okwede was a rookie. Sean Maniah was coming off of injury. So, and I don't even feel comfortable saying because Sean Maniah pitched 5.8 innings per pitch, per, uh, per start last year. Like, I don't even know how sticky this sort of thing is year to year. So I think generally I'm going to focus on quality still. Um, and maybe there will be some uh, up and down votes when I do my rankings. A little bit of like, okay, he's going to go down two, three, four, and up two, three, four, based on how crazy their team is on pushing things, um, what their quality is as a pitcher. Uh, are they in the NL um, and and facing DHs this year? Um, and are they coming off of injury? And do I think they can pitch deep into games? These are things I'm going to think about, but. Uh, like we said, the theme of this is we don't know. We don't know who's stretched out. We don't know. Uh, like for example, Lance McCullers. Like maybe, maybe just run with it. You know, maybe maybe you've had a really long time since your surgery. Maybe just just if we can't do it now, when can we do it? So if you can go six, go six. Yeah, uh, McCullers. I think would fall kind of into something similar to the Lizardo group, where you say, well. We knew he wasn't going to get a full season's worth of innings back in February and March. Now he can. They're probably going to be really good innings. So I, I would be a lot more interested in him because I don't think you have to play midseason gymnastics with the innings in order to have him available at the end of the season in a shortened season. You can just kind of treat him like most of your other starters at this point. I think so, but he's also uh, a little different than Lizardo in terms of efficiency per inning. Yeah, it's a good point. He's a little bit more of a throw a lot of pitches guy. Um, so maybe maybe McCullers will go down a couple ticks, but I can't I can't imagine putting him on like a do not draft list if everyone's going the other direction from Lance McCullers. Like, like sure, maybe he gets like, especially when we're talking about everything meeting in the middle, right? So what are you saying, Lance McCullers is going to get four wins instead of six? <laughs> Which is still like, well, he could he could get eight, like he could start ten times and win eight games, and it's got he could go eight and zero. Yeah, yeah, that could happen. And 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 even if he gets four instead of six, he's not going deep into games. What if he, you know, in his ten starts, gets ninety strikeouts? Yeah, I mean, he could quietly be among the league leaders in strikeouts. That's also in the Easily. range. So what if I what if I get good ERA? 90 to 100 like he would have 100 strikeouts somebody's gonna have 100 strikeouts this year well it's got to be someone get to 100 strikeouts it's got to be someone who shows up so the you kind of hinted at it there are some teams the pirates Derek shelton came out and said the pirates pitchers have been going five and six innings already like on the side so we don't know so uh, okay so <laughs> the pirates are going to show up and their starters can go as long as they need to but other teams may only go a few innings other teams may lean more into tandem starters they may do it for some pitchers not others because individual circumstances were different and we're going to try and gather up all that information but we're we're not going to have all of it no matter how great the reporting is no matter how diligent we are about looking in every corner there are going to be some situations that completely surprise us just in terms of simple pitcher usage yeah and uh, and whatever sort of new gem that we jump upon like I still think pitcher quality is is a thing we're chasing, you know. Um, you know, I, I, even as even if we come up with innings pitch per game start and look at it, like it becomes confusing pretty quickly. If you look at even when we did um, pitches per inning, you know there were some confusing results and 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 confounding to say that Jesus Lazardo is actually a super efficient pitcher. So. Um, 
picture quality is what we're talking about. Yeah. So that and that's and that's that'll actually work. That's that's what you're talking about with Brandon Woodruff too, right? Like if I have a quality pitcher, even if I'm the Rays, like I'm not going to limit Charlie Morton just because I'm the Rays. You know? Right. They, they, they <laughs> like, treat Charlie Morton and Blake Snell differently than their other pretty pitchers. much like regular pitchers. Yeah. yeah. I, that, that's it's, smart. It's Ryan Yarborough that they're like they're going to squeeze. But if you could turn um, Ryan Yarbrough into an ace just by using him a little bit less, that's brilliant. That's the smartest thing you could possibly do. If you could stick Ryan Yarbrough in your like fifth reliever slot uh, and just get a few wins out of him, you know, over the course of over the course of the season, that might be what wins you the league. You know? Yeah, I, I think always paying attention to the SPRP designations in leagues that use them is important, but more so than ever this year because you're just trying to max out everything every strikeout every win every save it it all it's going to be so close in so many leagues that you're going to have to be uh, as aggressive as you possibly can be top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine whether it's waking up early setting their goals for the day exercise or meditation but not everyone has the time to do it all with hydrant you can jumpstart your mornings Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula is developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com. Enter promo code ATHLETIC for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC. All right, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we discussed uh, adding a new segment to our show, and we have beer of the month, and we have prospect of the week when things are, are normal. We've decided to add a community spotlight feature. Uh, this is going to be the first time we do that on one of our shows, and it's probably going to be either every other week or monthly. We'll kind of see what things catch our eye and what's going on around us and, and adjust accordingly from there. Um, hinted at this a little bit, I think, in, in emails and some things behind the scenes, but uh, we are a part of an initiative that was started by our friend Alex Fast over at Pitcher List to actively cultivate a space that is more inclusive in the fantasy industry. And that includes the start of a mentorship program for those who are new, uh, annual charity drafts, changes in editorial practices, it's kind of a, a wide ranging focus. But uh, as mentioned on this show previously, we are here to help, and uh, we're going to put the link for the mentorship program in the show notes for today's episode. There's also uh, a, a starter kit, essentially, as you kind of approach fantasy baseball or even just baseball for the first time, trying to make the game uh, just more inclusive and more friendly for everybody. Yeah, and I think that's important because I remember the people that reached down and helped me out when I started. Um, I had uh, buddies at the Fantasy Lounge uh, that helped me, um, and I had, uh, you know, just reading Rob Nyer was important to me, and, um, you know, uh, Eric Simon over at Sports Walk Nation hired me to, to write at Amazing Avenue, and that was, that was a big deal for me at the time, so, uh, you know, that was really important for me. David Appleman, these people... Uh, hired me and listened to me and read me and helped me. Um, and, um, you know, this, that was important uh, to me making it. Uh, and so I definitely want to be a part of that for uh, people going forward. Um, and, you know, for those that say that's not really uh, a problem and the, 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 you know, the best writers will get to the top, I don't think they understand that, A, how much luck it cre- it, 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 there is in this thing and, um, and how uh, privilege and, um, uh, and this sort of thing leads to this. Like, I, I lived rent-free for a long time, um, and that was basically why I'm able to, to do what I do for a living now because uh, fantasy pays so poorly. Um, and so, you know, that sort of, that sort of deal, um, 
I can I can think I can hold two thoughts in my in my head at the same time, which is that I deserve what I have because I've worked hard and I've done you know the right things and and have my own spin on things, and that also I've had help and I've been lucky. Um, and so for and, and the other thing is like uh, across there's a there's a stat that's out there that across all editorial uh, mastheads, um, you know it's it's about four percent African American. Um, and that's, that's terrible in its own right. But then you have, uh, beyond that in fantasy baseball, the numbers have to be, uh, lower. Um, and it's not necessarily like, it is something, it is, uh, it, it is a function of the fandom of baseball, uh, which is, is primarily white. Um, and it's a function of economics and it's, it's a large thing. Uh, but this is a small thing we can do that it, that if you think about it is not um, is not controversial. I don't think it's it's saying we're going to help. And for people who say that like, oh, you're being exclusive because you won't help uh, white people. I don't think that's true. Uh, it's a mentorship program. It's it's designed uh, to help uh, to help people who um, aren't normally represented in the in the community. Uh, but it's a mentorship program and there's a resource kit. And if you want to get on there, you can get on there. You know what I mean? Like it's not, there's no, there's no like questionnaire before you get in there. <laughs> um, but it is designed uh, to be more inclusive. It is designed um, to, to help people up. Um, and uh, I think that this, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we say, you know, when we talk about like players, you know, being owned um, and, and talk about players as commodities um, and, some of the jokes we make and some of the, 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 the sort of comedy and some of the stuff that we do um, is informed by white maleness. Um, you know, it's just, it's just comfortable for us. And, um, you know, the more that we have an inclusive place, uh, the more that people will feel comfortable standing up and saying, hey, I didn't like that joke, which is cool. That's cool. Tell me, tell me if I make a joke you don't like, then I won't make it again. I don't want, I don't want to make people feel like I'm a dick, you know? Uh, a lot of times it's like, oh, I just didn't even think of it that way, you know, like um, uh, and when you up the diversity of any space, uh, you up the diversity of thought, you uh, create more angles to come at something and you eventually improve the product, whatever it is. Uh, so there's a lot of different reasons this matters. And uh, and that's why we're we're happy to be a part of it. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I mean, I owe a lot to me just being in this position today to people that helped me at the beginning uh pretty much everybody at rotowire tim schuler uh more of a behind the scenes uh, cfo over there was actually the person who extended an internship opportunity to me there mike doria who's still there he's the football editor he trained me taught me how to write player notes to answer phone calls and answer customer support emails i mean peter Schenke started the company he helped me along the way Jeff Erickson and Chris List just sharing radio time with me when I had no radio experience. Like, that's luck. That's that's having good people who are willing to give you an opportunity to grow. Um, and most people aren't that generous. And someone said like recently, like a lot of times you help you mentor someone that you see a little bit of them in like yourself in them. You know. Uh, and I think that's that's a really complicated uh, thing to say. Um, and so f- for that reason, the mentorship is actually um, at, at first I was like, oh, I'd rather, you know, re- I'd rather kind of have some choice in the matter. But the mentorship is actually random. So we as mentors are in the program and then we are matched randomly with someone who requests mentorship. Yeah, I, I do. I do think there is a, a selection tendency I, I think about mentor relationships that i've seen just from the outside and i do see similarities in both people in that relationship that probably led that relationship friendship whatever it was to become what it was yeah i think so too so um it, it, that's part of the cycle that uh, that leads to this that's 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 uh you you can label it whatever you like you know, it doesn't have to have to have the big P word privilege on it. That just sets everybody off politically. But you, that's part of the cycle that just sort of begets the sameness, you know. Um, and why not like break out of this and um, and have different voices? You know, you'll find you'll find that um, people have some really cool angles and really different things to say. 
Absolutely. We don't need to be, we don't need to be saying the same thing over and over again. A hundred percent agree with you and I'm uh, really happy to be a part of it. And really happy that Alex took the initiative to lead this because it, it took a lot of work to pull it all together at Alex fast eight on Twitter. If you want to see the original thread breaking everything down, you can see the full statement there as well. It's got the links, but again, I'll put the links in the show notes for this episode. Uh, it is the last Thursday of June, you know, so it means it's time for our Beer of the Month segment. Uh, belated happy birthday to you, by the way. I know you had at least uh, one birthday beer that you put out there on Twitter last night, so I hope you had a, a great birthday. But uh, what are your selections for a Beer of the Month? You know, I wanted to do something different this week. Uh, when it came to Beer of the Week, uh, my brother-in-law uh, drinks northern uh, non-alcoholic beers, and uh, he's had uh, some complaints <laughs> about what's out there. Most of what we have in the non-alcoholic uh, department are the big companies uh, turning out theirs. I think St. Pauli uh, Girl is decent. Some of the German ones are actually a little step forward uh, when it comes to uh, non-alcoholic beers. Um, and so you know, what I haven't seen as much is a non-alcoholic beers in the craft world that, you know, hazies and porters and stuff like that. Um, the, you know, there's actually athletic brewing, not the athletic, there's athletic brewing on the East coast and out here on the West coast, uh, surreal brewing, uh, was kind enough to send me to some samples and, um, I really liked it. And one of the things that's cool about it is I have my dry days every week. Uh, I try to have two or three dry days a week and, um, you know, and I've been trying to work on even adding another one. And this sort of thing I think would be good on two levels, uh, for me, which is, uh, I can pretend to have a beer on the day that I'm having a dry, that I'm trying to add as a dry day. Um, and also the calorie count is lower. Uh, so I was looking at even their, uh, most, uh, their most sort of thick, heavy beer, the pastry porter, um, that, uh, that tastes almost like, um, uh, like a low ABV porter. Like it, it, it's, it doesn't have that quite thickness of like a really a pastry Imperial stout. Uh, but it does, uh, have a lot of the same taste, a lot of the same notes. Um, and then kind of a clear refreshing aftertaste that was 75 calories. Um, and I know a lot of those pastry stouts, you know, alcohol is the largest source of calories in these things. Um, and so some of those pastry stouts, you're talking about 200 and 300 calories, uh, per serving. So, uh, per, per 16 ounces or so. So these guys are low alcohol. Um, I really enjoyed the pastry porter. They have a one called the juicy maps, hazy IPA. That was pretty good. And the Kolsch, uh, was clear and beautiful. Uh, so surreal athletic, uh, those have been my favorite NA beers and then St. Pauli girl, uh, when you go into the local grocery store, I just wanted to big up people that are helping us be more responsible, helping us keep the guts a little bit thinner, uh, and yet sort of have the feeling of having a beer. Yeah, still relaxing to uh, to have that at the end of the day. Uh, I actually stumbled upon a very good beer from Half Acre in Chicago. It's called Bodum. It's getting a lot of hype on Twitter. I, I follow a few people who are. I guess, members of beer Twitter. And uh, I was lucky enough to find a, a 12-pack, just a, a very kind of classic American IPA, a little bit fruity, but just really well-balanced. I would say you get just a, a little twist of citrus maybe at the end, so not the typical hazy. Um, the interesting thing about it is it's it's very sessionable for a beer that's like a 6.7% ABV. So be careful with it if you find it. It's it's good. I recommend it. I think it's worth picking up. Uh, but beers that smooth should not hit quite like that. So just be aware uh, as you as you pick those up. Uh, it's uh you know one of the things that's cool about it is that it's uh it's got that cryo in it. So um, you know it's an interesting beer that uh, that uh, you know it kind of. Uh, it has the the, the modern uh, approach in terms of you know this dust this kind of uh, hops dust that they've reduced things down to uh but it's also uh, you know really well regarded as just being a easy drinker so i want one a little idaho 7 and cashmere in there as well so i will uh, I'll, I'll get you one at some point i don't know if i'm getting you one from the current stash but uh, i'll, I'll make, <laughs> make a note for the next gathering or the next beer mail to uh, to include some Bodum for you. 
easier to get around here, I guess, than in most parts of the country. Since we're still pretty close to Chicago. If you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We really appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can support our site. Get 40% off at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. And as always, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. We're going to start taking a look at rankings as next week begins. So get excited for that. That is going to wrap things up. For this episode of Rates and Barrels, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening.